Welcome to the Australian Physiotherapy Association podcast. With final season upon us, our very own APA policy officer and physiotherapist Luana Williams talks to APA members and Collingwood AFL physios David Francis and Lachlan Fuchs. The trio discuss what it's like to be a sports physio for an elite sporting team, how they got to be where they are now, what a typical game day looks like, common injuries and how they manage each player and much, much more. So let's dive in. Thank you both for joining us today. Let's start by talking about your journey to becoming sports physiotherapists. Lockie, let's start with you. I was fortunate enough to, uh, after finishing uni, going through some um, various PD courses and bits and pieces, following through an interest that I had from earlier days playing sport, working in the hockey field and doing um, some work with various teams. The opportunity came up to, to work with Collingwood in the VFL side when we newly started a team after branching out on our own. And from that, opportunities sort of just presented themselves going forward into working with the rehab group and then into working with the senior team over the last sort of eight years or so. So in total, I've been there about 12 years. And what about you, David? Luana, I started 24 years ago at the club and basically the club was wanting to change an angle. So there was uh, a group of uh, doctors and physios amalgamated as well as podiatrists. And so we started as a consortium 24 years ago as a, a medical and allied health team. And the reason that I got involved in that is that I wasn't a sports physio. I was a, a musculoskeletal physio in that the group wanted a, a different set of skills. And so as a result, that was my role in the team. And then from there, it's just progressed and evolved. The team has definitely evolved in uh, all members have, have gone over the 24 years. But that was instigated by um, Dr. Peter Bruckner. Basically, the club approached him to get a, a team of medical and allied health professionals together to advance or try and get an edge at, uh, at an elite level sports. You mentioned that you're a musculoskeletal physio, not a sports physio. For those who are sort of uh, new or considering physiotherapy, what's the difference between the two of them? Yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, So sports came on, musculoskeletal was the only course that was available at that point in time. And that was full time, so I had to take another year off. And that would have an emphasis on uh, more spinal and more uh, a different type of assessment. Sports came on as I was finishing my postgraduate and now there's a, I think there's a closer alliance between a musculoskeletal and sports physio and sports and exercise physiotherapist. We have a collection of different therapists. I'm really keen on, as, as senior physio, I'm, I'm keen on getting people with different sets of skills, different ideas on clinical reasoning, different treatment approaches to ensure that we get the best product for our players. Yeah. But it's evolving, which is fantastic physio. As a profession, it is evolving. Primarily, sports does look at more peripheral and they're probably attempting to be more involved in the exercise rehab component. Traditionally, musculoskeletal would be more of a spinal expertise at clinical assessment and mobilisation, but uh, it's becoming clouded now, which is a good thing. I think a lot of young people who choose to take a career in physiotherapy do so because they have a background in sport. Lucky, you mentioned that you kind of started that as a new grad into that area. Was that mm -hmm. the same for you? Yeah, it was. I mean, I think 
going through initially starting physiotherapy I had a very narrow view probably of what physiotherapy was until I was exposed to the opportunities out there and through my undergraduate and through my clinical placements as a student I really enjoyed uh, sampling all of the different facets of physio and at graduation went and worked in as a rehab grade one and did my rotations through neurological physio some ABI work orthopedic and trauma and and so I got to experience different uh, different areas and consolidate the skills that I learned as an undergrad all the time is sort of in the background having an interest in sports so along the the journey of while I started working started furthering my professional development and through advice through some of the mentors that I'd met along the way encouraged me to, to continue my study and that's something that continues today the the professional development uh, focus that we put on it from a, a club perspective but also an individual perspective is something that we really encourage so yeah I, I lent into the more traditional pathway into the sports physio field I started my postgraduate a graduate certificate in sports physiotherapy at that stage and then went on to complete the masters through Latrobe. Now I'm being recognised, as Dave alluded to, the sport and exercise physiotherapist. I think is a really encouraging way of the way that we're trying to practice as a as a group. And I think exercise has a really important role with the way that, from an evidence based perspective, a lot of our treatment modalities are based around the exercise side of things. You're saying before that you went through the undergraduate course, you had to go through, you would have had to go through neuro and cardiorespiratory. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like even though they perhaps don't seem like they're aligned with sports physio, do you think that there it's it was good background to have working? Oh, absolutely. I think there are elements that we draw upon and we still draw upon them daily. I think neurological physio is the basis of what we do from a movement perspective and an assessment as well as intervention and treatment management of our, our specific injuries all comes back to the way we move and the way that I think look at our first order, second order, third order neurons and how we work from that perspective and that's something Dave's been really strong on in mentoring me through the the journey is to really look at the the bigger picture try and not to assess the area assess the injury look at why we've we've developed this issue look at the consequences of why people have developed the issue and how we go about treating that as a whole i think that's a it's an interesting point in my story i really had no interest in sport and one of the questions i ask people applying for jobs at this level is why are you doing it and i think it's really really important that you don't have to excel at a sport and you actually don't have an interest to a sport. The, where it's going in with respect to elite sports management is you have to be really good at your skill. You've got to be really good at your basic skill set. And so I actually had an interest in neurology. I hated it as an undergrad, but uh, Kay Spencer, she was a magnificent uh, teacher at La Trobe. She uh, found the, the interest of neurology in me and in many ways how I treat people I'm actually using significant neurological principles and movement patterns rather than necessarily exercise and I think it's a it's a really exciting challenge for physios going ahead both new graduates and I think it's also extremely challenging but exciting for physios that have been out for a number of years is where are we going with what we do and it's not a threat it's nothing to be apprehensive about it's actually quite exciting to be in a profession but in many ways I'm really comfortable with how I treat with respect to touch and diagnosis but quality of movement and how we move both under duress as well as in normal Normal ADR, normal living is uh, it's an exciting area because at the end of the day, 
we have to be honest, um, people involved in AFL, is that are we making a huge significant difference with respect to injury? And is that in many ways the injury count hasn't changed in the last 20 years? So are we making a difference? I think we're improving performance. We're possibly slowing the rate of injury, but uh, we need to continue to challenge what we're doing now. On that point, have either of you, I'm assuming there's been quite a change in the way that treatment has been with relation to sports physiotherapy or sports rehab. What, what have you seen over your time working for the club? I think that the biggest thing is the intensity or frequency of treatment. You've got to keep hunting. You've got to have an open mind to, if you're involved in, I believe, any, any physiotherapy, but uh, especially in elite sports um, physiotherapy. The intensity of training, the regularity of training, the uh, commitment of time. Um, there used to be you know, two or three sessions a week and now it's daily. Focusing on recovery, focusing on performance under stress, so taking in the person as a whole, not just from a muscle joint perspective, but really treating the person as a whole, both while they're at the ground or at the club, but also at home. So I really hunt for staff members that have what I call a sixth sense, is that they can really sum up a situation quite quickly and as a result can apply an appropriate treatment approach that could either be verbal or, or as a traditional physiotherapy technique. I believe that's, um, that's an essential component. But what's great is that what we did last year is we still keep developing it for next year and the year after, which is fun. Yeah, I, I've seen it evolve in sort of my time at the club and the, the uh, number of staff that we've got now, and that's not just physiotherapy staff, but it's the expertise of our strength and conditioning and our medical and nutrition, dietetics. You know, we've got people that are uh, very skilled in their areas and then trying to coordinate and harness the best attributes of all of us to try and enhance the player's performance. I think that's been something that I continue to learn off the, our peers at the club and the people that we bring in and then how we combine our, our best skills is something that we're continuing to, to evolve as we go. We figure out what the best process is and then if it doesn't work, we reassess and we reevaluate and then we go again. So I think that's something that continues to change. There's never... It's, yeah, it's never a dull moment. There's always something going on. Luana, I think it's, a, it's an interesting is that physiotherapy progresses and changes both through initiatives of thought, um, research, but I think there are a fair few components of our skill set that I don't think should change, and that is palpation and touch. Like, so we have got you know, the, the privilege of being primary practitioners and I believe that that is a challenge for physios coming out is that do they have really good touch and do they have really good assessment techniques? Do they have really good treatment techniques? And I think that every individual physiotherapist has to be honest with themselves. The type of teaching now compared to the type of teaching that we received when I went through is different. We had a lot, a lot of time with practical and I teach and I, um, I have undergrads and I have postgrads and I have masters and I have specialisation students coming to our clinics. And I believe that the basic skills that we learned 20 years ago have still got to be just as important now. And I th believe that that's a, a challenge because our skill set is palpation. 
and we've got to continue to be good at that you know you can go back to Maitland you know R1 R2 P1 P2 movement diagrams and I'm sure there's people thinking oh god you know he's just a musculoskeletal physio how boring (laughs) but I believe that's one of the the key issues is touch and and also believe it or not clients and athletes are smart they know what a good practitioner is and it's not by talking it's actually by touch and i think that's a it's an exciting challenge again but we you you as individual practitioners need to be honest with yourself in that are your techniques as good as you think they could be you've mentioned a couple of times that you work within a team of other health professionals so what does a a typical medical team at an elite sports club look like who's involved in that We've got it's really wide and varied at, at most clubs. So if we start from say the medical side of things, generally they'll have a, a sports physician. So we have a sports physician, um, Ribbon Branson. Also, we're lucky to have Dr. Greg Shuttleworth, and I got Greg because uh, he's an A and E physician, as well as uh, he's had an extensive period as being a general practitioner. So it's kind of like on the bench, we've kind of got the best of both worlds when it comes to to the medical side of things, and then behind that, from a, an orthopedic surgical point of view, as well as oh, you know, in more recent times, we've had a few other people, a few other conditions that have involved uh, other parts of the body. So we've got a big team that. Uh, that sit behind us and uh, that we can ring regularly and with respect to you know, eyes or neurological conditions, concussion issues. So there's a big team that uh, we can call upon. Then from there is, uh, from the physio perspective, is that we have physios that have, as I mentioned before, different skill sets. So that could be one in more palpation, two that could be more in the clinical reasoning diagnosis and making decisions, three could be in the fine rehab, so that's uh, more in muscle activation, not so much the necessarily gross movements, and they're in charge of the rehabilitation. So when a player is injured, they are under that person's control per se until they return to play. And then we've got other physios that also have a a connection with respect to strength. They enjoy the strength component in getting players or athletes stronger. Then from there, it goes into podiatry. Then we've got a strength team. So they come from an exercise and sports physician background. And then a component of that is uh, boxing and yoga or stretching programs we've got podiatry what else we've got like we've got soft tissue um, remedial therapists yeah we've got a team of of them which um and they have amazing touch we've got a team of trainers nutrition dietitians we've got sports scientists that sort of analyze our data and are responsible for collating a lot of the player wellness and and monitoring data that we collect we have strength conditioning uh, coach from the australian ballet that doesn't work with us and now we've just, um, Monash Uni has uh, now joined Collingwood Football Club. And so now under that banner is that uh, we're going to have a, a huge scope with respect to research, which is going to be exciting. And yeah, it's going to be um, some fantastic initiatives and research at Coalface of sports medicine, that both with Collingwood and uh, Monash, we can hopefully get a few more answers as well as probably test the waters of uh, where sports medicine is going to go in the next 10 years. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. On actual game day, who is with the team preparing being with them we see people running out in the bright colored vests what who are those people so typically on the game day for us as they've alluded to we have our sports physician our second doctor greg shuttleworth who's a, an a and a physician who handles a lot of our concussion and head injuries so he typically is the one when someone will get concussed or has a, a cut or a wound and is bleeding they, they will handle the the majority or if not all of that and can often be assisted by a head trainer who's on the bench to 
facilitate you know cuts and scrapes and and runs water at, at the times when they're able to get onto the ground you have dave and myself from a physio perspective and depending on the circumstances we try and limit the amount of time that we spend out on the ground we we have a good relationship with our trainers that are able to get out to players across the ground so in line with the AFL's mandate of, of not necessarily wanting people out there and respecting that we are in a very privileged position to be able to go onto the field to play at any given time, we don't like to abuse that by just getting out and out and back. And there's some pretty strong, I suppose, guidelines around being able to deliver messages and things like that. So we don't want anything misconstrued as us not necessarily doing what we're entitled to be out there doing. So yeah, to, to get out there and, and when you do see you know staff members with the physio on the back of our Epworth vests or the, the doctors, it tends to be either Dave or myself and one of the doctors. And that is purely to do an acute quick assessment, triage, identify is this player able to continue playing? Do they need to come off for a more thorough assessment? And then we'll bring them off. Typically we, we have one doctor and one physio that should go out at one time so that the other two remain on the bench to either review the footage that we can get real time on the on the video and we can rewind and we can assess it there so by the time the players come off we can have that feedback from our other colleagues there saying well it looks like it was a knock to the head or he was unconscious he wasn't unconscious it was a knee injury that he got an external force and it looks like it's you know it could potentially be a a nasty knee it was an inversion sprain of their ankle so that all then helps with our assessment to to make decisions quickly and appropriately to decide whether it's safe for this player to continue or do we um do we need to take them off and, and make sure that they're safe that's also in coordination we've got the exercise science guys so the head of conditioning so um that's can we work in combination with uh, Kevin White and also controlling is Nick Maxwell. So Nick basically communicates with the head coach. So there's this constant method of communication. Sometimes it's non-verbal, sometimes it's verbal because if a player is on the ground but is limited to a certain extent, is there going to be any positional moves? Will that player then be, be the next person to rotate off? So it's kind of a constant network of communicating as soon as the game starts to as soon as the game finishes so you know if you're up 10 goals everyone in the crowd's really quite relaxed and thinking it's easy well it's not because our players are fatiguing and it's still a contact sport and you're thinking of now but also straight away you're thinking of there are a number of issues that every player goes onto the ground with so everyone's got their own story and also we're thinking about the following week or we're thinking about the following final series so it's I don't classify it as stressful it's just another part of the job and that's where it comes down to is is really trusting your um, fellow worker and also uh, really being clear and calm under pressure and uh, with actually match day everyone on the bench is actually not under pressure is that you must just remain calm and make the right decision at the right time because if you consistently don't do that you won't have a job <laughs> but um, but that's the cutthroat component of the industry which if you're good at it you'll be you'll be fine i think around that we've got some pretty clearly defined roles too which which makes it easy to know know your role and play your role and the players you know have the same philosophy in the way that they go about it and us professionally on the bench we know that this is my role on, on game day and this is what I facilitate and when the decision comes back who that message goes to because there needs to be that really clear 
line and message of communication because it comes down from the box from the coach and the coaching staff and it has to go back up the same way so I think around that there's there's really good processes in place and that parallels exactly the same as the the values and the messages that go on on the playing field we try and sort of reflect that in what we do as well. I think that mentions a good thing Lockie is is the communication and when things are are under pressure it's very important that you are very concise and are very closed-ended in with respect to action and diagnosis but to do that it does come back to the basic skills of having a really good subjective a really good objective test and a really good action in response to treatment so if you know that you've got a really good skill set is that decisions that you are making aren't that difficult you're just repeating it's like the player they're just kicking the ball again that they've done a training it's really no different to that but there is another aspect that I think is really important and that's building up the trust the trust of the player and the trust of the other people who are involved on the bench so in many cases if you know the player you already know that there's something going on because they're not moving correctly so you already know there's something in anticipation so when they come off during their rotation therefore you know that there's something going on and at their various times in the year depending on their age contract whether they're playing well or not playing well it's important that you have an open relationship with your athlete but they also they trust you and you trust them i guess that trust comes from the fact that you're not just seeing them on game day you're actually seeing them during the week throughout the entire season and probably in the in the off season as well so what does a week look like when you're preparing for a game what happens during the week so i mean in season definitely has a different spin to it than the pre-season and the way that we manage the athletes and structure up their training varies very differently so in season there's a big recovery focus immediately post-game so post-game our players will will go back to the club and we're fortunate enough to play a lot of games at the MCG and the club being directly opposite is now a lot of the players will walk pre-game across the MCG and back rather than drive and so we'll go back to the club where we've got a chef and she'll cater and prepare meals for all the boys so they'll go back and do their recovery immediately post-game receive any further medical assessment management that they need to may get a flush massage and then they'll eat to make sure that they're well fed and and to aid that recovery and then Monday the typically the the next training day is a, a flush day where they'll come in again some triage medical assessment organize what we're going to be doing for the coming week so the week following a game depending on the the amount of time between games may have one or two main training sessions and in interspersed in that is a lot of time spent with their their line coaches or divisional coaches reviewing their game reviewing their tactics and for us we do the same thing we put time into reviewing injuries that we know players are managing issues that we need to get on top of assessing new things that come in and, and best planning for that is it going to be you know, an injury that's short term that we're going to be able to manage and get up for the next week. Is there a longer term approach that we need to go to? And then also separate to that, that's probably running in parallel, is our, our rehab players that we're trying to, you know, at different stages get up and going. So there's a there's a lot of moving parts within a, a week of football. And as I say, you know, a week's a long time in football. And I think that's important that, you know, as a game is coming to its conclusion, one of the joys of being involved in elite sport is the uh, the joy of winning but that joy doesn't last very long in that it might last for the to participate in singing the song but as soon as the song's finished it's game on for next week so it's it's pretty short-lived so I don't know if I'm getting older but it's it's a constant grind because you have your highs 
but you're going to have a hell of a lot of lows. And so straight away after the game, once the players go and sit down in their locker, we basically start. So we'll walk around with a member of the medical and fitness staff and physio staff. We'll walk around and basically assess everyone. So it starts straight away and then we'll orchestrate if they need medical attention, medical intervention, if they need soft tissue work, if they need uh, spinal work. Therefore, that'll start within a half an hour, hour after the game. Next morning, there'll be recovery. That's what's required. And if they need to be at the club every day and twice a day, they'll be at the club twice a day. Why? Because we need to get an outcome for the following week. And also, I suppose, you mentioned before what's been the biggest change in the last 24 years is that a football season's not 28 or 23 rounds plus finals. It's pretty much 52 weeks a year in that as soon as the season's finished, therefore we're operations. Some players that are in the younger development, sure, they've got to have their eight weeks, but they'll want to be advancing their skill set. It's basically... 52 weeks a year yeah. isn't it <laughs> and it, and it's facilitated during that period and as they've said there's some downtime and the players are entitled to that and they'll take their time but they recognize as professional athletes now that that they they can't take eight or ten weeks off so whether it's recovering from the previous season with focus areas for them to work on physically then they'll they'll continue that and we you know we facilitate that over their off season we can be a lot more focused with some of the things we're trying to implement some of them will will go and work with external you know providers some of our running coaches and and agility work that guys have done with Bowden Babacek and other people in the past you know that there's things that we utilize to try and enhance these athletes give them a perspective outside of our footy bubble and also you know bring things back to us that we can help enhance our program so yeah there's a lot that goes on from from week to week yeah in season does take a little bit of a different spin than than off season and then the pre-season in itself becomes quite a hectic time where it's a lot more structured because we don't have the games on weekends we know that a, a Monday Friday we can get a big football session out of the players the middle of the week might be down a little bit in between that there's time for recovery and focusing on specific areas but yeah it's it's a, it's a full-time job and these guys are really committed to what they do and, and that makes our job a lot e- easier At times we have to chase them like anyone but on the whole I think these players it's probably another focus area the players have changed over the time I've been there now and they recognize too that they've got they've got this opportunity in a small window to to get the best out of themselves so they they seek us out and they're really good to work with as a patient group You've both mentioned that there is a bit of a routine in terms of rehab and training during the season. How does this change when you're going interstate? For example, if you're going over to Perth, that's almost a day worth of travel taken out of your preparation. So how does that change? Kevin White, uh, head of conditioning, has got a really good protocol, which is pretty much Kevin's been with us for about 10 years. And uh, Collingwood, you know, I think from the stats, we actually enjoy travel um, in, in that it probably breaks up a routine and also we get out of the bubble and so it's just us. The biggest thing is to still continue to get the player active so but at the same time make it individual so to go into Perth for example some players go earlier so they'll actually go a day earlier to they feel that that's better for their preparation well where a majority might go as the team which is one day earlier so everyone's got to be there one night beforehand okay that's an AFL rule 
then from there as soon as you get off you basically you know, hydrate and, and get um, get food into them and then they will have a training session at the ground to to climatize as well as to to the ground but as also to the climate and then a social night we'll have a social night so players either go out as a group or individual or just in their small groups as well as the staff so it's actually sometimes football's quite nomadic in that you're in and out and and all of a sudden it's round six and round 12 and sometimes you actually don't stop and actually sit down and enjoy each other's company so in many ways we actually love it and what's the the thing that's i suppose the perth trip and we can't argue too much because we don't travel too often so uh (laughs) everyone just settle down um is that uh it's probably the coming back that gets us and the biggest you know one of the biggest components of recovery is sleep effective sleep we often if we can we fly out and do the red eye and get the players back into their familiar environment they'll get some sleep and then they can have a for instance if we played on the saturday night they'll have a a reasonably productive sunday afternoon and uh, because on monday we're back on and we're heading into final season now so has there been i guess aside from the pressure of playing in the finals has there been any change that's been happening around the club or with the playing group or rehab or anything like that? The playing group uh, with our VFL team not playing in finals this year it, it generates a little bit of a, a challenge for us going forward because it, it's good to be able to have your as much of your list actively playing and competing for as long as possible because there will be changes you know whether that's through injury or selection or whatever so to have as many guys up and going and, and then to facilitate bringing guys back that have been in rehab for the last few weeks to give them an opportunity to get, get exposed to match simulation is important so to not have that we're we're having to manufacture some training sessions and and this being the the week off before the finals we're training this evening and so we'll do some match simulation to try and bring some guys up to speed that are looking to come back in for next week potentially so that's probably been a shift Um, and going forward we'll we'll have to do similar things for the the group of the 22 or, or 26 that aren't in the emergency squad that are training with the AFL there'll be an extension of the training and I suppose keep as many guys match ready as we can so that's that's a challenge that we'll have going forward. I think at the at the same time there is uh, a perception outside of excitement you know we're here to play finals but within the inner sanctum of the club is that we primarily keep in many ways things as per normal because the outcome will look after itself. So you, you try not to get uh, too influenced by what the general public and what the press is saying. And because the reality is, it's another game of footy. And if you just follow the principles of what the coaches want, therefore the outcome will look after itself and whether that's a win or a loss. So it is really important, uh, especially for the younger players. Uh, the players that have been through the systems, they'll have their own routines but it's really, really important that the younger players or players that haven't been involved in final campaigns that we really surround them with uh, normality and also direction when you think they're, they're um, getting a little bit off track. And that's also to staff members too. If they haven't been involved in final campaigns, it's, it's really keeping calm, keeping collective, do your role to the best of your ability. At the end of the day, it's another game, but it's got a good price if we win. 
Okay, so this year for Collingwood hasn't been a great season for injuries. You've had quite a few of them this year. Are you able to describe what some of the common injuries that you see in the football club? Look, I suppose despite what people may read and people may see, the, the injuries across the AFL are, um, are able to be broken down and you can look at them in multiple ways depending on how you interpret the data. And I suppose from, a, from our perspective, you can break the injuries down into soft tissue injuries, traumatic injuries, you know, concussion, fractures, things like that, overuse injuries, and then others, you know, illnesses, general soreness, and the way that things are reported and the way that other clubs classify things vary a little bit from club to club. But then that all forms part of the, the AFL injury surveillance uh, report that comes out and that gets published year to year. And I think across the, the course of that, you see ups and downs in different injuries and, and when they present in different eras of the game and whether that's a reflection of, of how the game's played and where it's heading. And also whether any rule changes have a, a change on that as it has with you know, PCL injuries in the past. But I think as a whole, um, the competition experiences injuries fairly similarly across every club and, and from our perspective and statistically you know, probably hamstrings and soft tissue injuries do make up a, a significant amount of the, the injuries that we see. Dave your thoughts on, uh, on any of that? Yeah I think that the diagnosis so when someone says it's a hamstring injury that's quite a generalisation and with the advancement of investigation with the advancement of uh, techniques with the advancement of surgery. A hamstring is, is going through a, an amazing revolution of diagnosis and that's with respect does it involve the muscle, does it involve the tendon, does uh, on its location which muscle of the hamstring group is involved. It's really an exciting time. Is it challenging? Absolutely. Which is the, the most appropriate way of strength with respect to the type of injury it is? How long should they be off with respect to their own Australian real footballer versus a soccer player versus a 100 meter Olympic runner they're all um, from the outside there's a lot a lot of opinions and I can well assure you that within the the clubs of the AFL and uh, various institutions that we are using is that it's very much an involving wheel with respect to the best practice the game is changing the athletes changing type of strength change is changing but at the same time, we realise that Australian rules football has a, a relatively high incidence of hamstrings and some types of hamstring injuries reoccur. So we know that from a research point of view. So um, that's why it's good to be involved in this because from in combination with uh, what the coach requires in that uh, that may be a different type of, it might change the, the way that the club plays versus uh, we may have to go through a, a type of strength phase because the group might be young versus a group that's old. There's lots of things that are involved in uh, to trying to get to an outcome, you know, the grounds hardness, but at the same time you just got to keep working at it to, to ensure that uh, you can get as many avail players available in the most appropriate time so they can perform their skill. With respect to knees and reconstructions, um, it's evolving compared to what you know was done 20 years ago to now what's 10, 10 years ago. And even you know more recent research, it's, it's still advancing or changing or being considered. These aren't threats. What's really important is that you do follow up on your research. You uh, do have conversations with peers that uh, have a special interest in that area. And I think the APA are really good with that with respect to the research they're doing and the availability of resources. I think that uh, if anyone's got all the answers, um, um, please give me a call. Give me a hand. <laughs>
I think the point Dave raises on that in speaking to your peers and gaining all the, the evidence, you know, we don't profess to be experts in, in one particular thing here or there. We, we will seek out you know, other people that have had experience with vast numbers of that, whether it's surgeons, whether it's other physios, whether it's specialists, whether it's yeah anyone in the field that has something to offer. And then we'll put that into our clinical expertise and, and consider it in the context of our player and our time of the year and our you know demands that we, we have. And, and we'll look at it very objectively. So I think with having a, a good team of professionals around us that enables us to make good judgments on it and sometimes those judgments you know don't necessarily go right but that gives the opportunity to reassess and that that gives us an opportunity to learn and i think it's important that reading is that if anyone with respect to say the common injuries say their hamstring and acls groin overload i think it's really important that if there is a new treatment technique that it is a new treatment treatment technique it's not the panacea and also i think it's really important that if someone says you know i can fix that and i fix all of them you know if it's a hamstring i fix all the hamstrings well we know that's not true so i think it's important that we we don't we continually hunt to get new ideas new thoughts new treatment approaches and then evaluate that to that particular condition so the perception is, oh, you know, once you get to, to a club, therefore you don't listen to anyone outside. Like we've got osteopaths involved. So it's always, you know, we've got tendon flickers involved. You know, they've got magnificent touch. They've got mag- magnificent skill sets. So it's important to keep an open mind. But then I think an important role in senior management in sports medicine is to decipher what's appropriate for that person, for that individual, for that condition. And also, also defining where other stuff is nonsense. That's probably quite good advice as well for people who don't who are treating people's sports injuries who perhaps don't have the luxury of an entire medical team to help with that as well. Mm. So those working with the grassroots teams. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not being afraid to, to seek other advice and other opinions and whether that's a, a colleague, a peer, a, a different practitioner from mm. another field. I think if, some, if you've got people that you respect, that you respect their opinion, then yeah, don't be afraid to, to get a second opinion on things and, and then have the discussion and use that as a, a basis to either confirm or deny or that might just you know, push you in another direction. And I think that, like, that's a, you know, those peer reviews. And I think that, you know, the APA should be complemented on the career development. And, you know, from an undergrad to a postgrad to a master's, then to the specialisation. And, and I'll be honest, you know, when I did the specialisation in MUSC is that, I, I could be honest, I didn't have to do it. You know, I suppose I was real, relatively established as a physiotherapist, both in the, the sports sector as well as in private practice. But one of the things is that I wanted to do it in my mid-40s is that I wanted to go and talk to other physios and watch them treat as well as I wanted them to watch me treat to critically evaluate how well or how good I'm doing it. And I had so much fun traveling around Australia, people watching me, I'm watching them. It was it kind of basically, not didn't reinvigorate me. I, I love physiotherapy, but without a doubt, it took me to another, to another level that I knew that I was a better physio after doing that process. Rather than thinking I'm better than anyone else, I knew that I was a better physio by doing that process. And I think that's really important for physios out there is that it comes back to whatever you do, are you a better physio? Don't worry about what other people do. Just be honest with yourself. And without a doubt, the, um, the APA-driven career pathway is, um, is a leader in the allied health profession. And it's, it's there for us to be better.
So following on from that, Lockie, how, what's your progression from being a new grad up into a sports physiotherapist? What's mm-hmm. that look like for you? Um, so as a new grad, I had some experience working in general physiotherapy rotations and acute trauma rehab uh, at the Victorian Rehab Centre early days and then transitioned into working in private practice all the time following advice and mentoring that I'd had from other peers and people along the way uh, to pursue my professional development. And I think now that the pathway is quite well defined through the assistance of the APA and certain universities being able to go through and do the Masters of Sports and Exercise Physiotherapy qualification. That's basically the pathway I followed through La Trobe, went and studied and did that part-time whilst working full-time in private practice and at the football club and then was fortunate enough to become a titled sports and exercise physiotherapist at the end of that and now as I believe to to work in in elite sport you know it's a really desirable qualification to have and a lot of people whether it be in the football world looks at at that as being something that's an important criteria when they're, they're looking at employees but also from an Olympic perspective, I think now to, to represent Australia as an Olympic physiotherapist, there are certain qualifications that are required. An ongoing um, process of then furthering upskilling, like Dave said, into the specialisation process. There's all those things ahead of me too, potentially. I know Dave's very strong in, in his beliefs and feelings towards that, and that's something that we can yeah, can hope that more physios head down that pathway. You've already mentioned some of the highs and lows of working with the club. What are some of the other challenging aspects or rewarding parts of your work? As the game has become sort of a bigger entity in itself and the number of staff that we have in our team from a high performance and a football football staff, but as a club as a whole, you know, we incorporate a lot of staff from an admin and marketing and media perspective. There's a lot of moving parts to a football club. So, yeah, a, a challenge as with you know, any physio working in any profession in a, in a multidisciplinary team is making sure that you've got tight lines of communication between staff to try and make sure that the objectives that we're aiming to to achieve, you know, are, are clearly, as I said, clearly defined, whether that's between physio to physio, physio and strength and conditioning staff, high performance, getting that clear line of communication to coaches around availability. It's just setting up a, a framework. And so Again, that's an evolving process and that we're getting a lot tighter at. And as the team grows and gets bigger, it's an ongoing challenge to make sure that the people who are needing to be in the loop and in the communication circle are in that. And then what information some people don't need to be given, don't get that. And it doesn't cloud decision-making processes going forward. So I think that's that's an ongoing challenge that clubs, not uniquely to us and not you know specifically sports physio or football clubs I think everyone working in a multidisciplinary team will have issues around that at times yeah I reckon it's, a, it's an interesting question in retrospect I reckon uh, Tyson Golsack uh, retired uh, on Tuesday and uh, Tyson's been at the club for 13 years so and being a been working out at Pakenham he came he was a local boy and he was a really skinny quite a gifted athlete but there's not a hope in hell he was able to play footy at the start, so he had to really develop. And uh, Tyson, in his retirement speech to the players, said he didn't mention about being a premiership player. He actually mentioned it that, that it's actually the people that he's been involved with 
and I couldn't agree with you more the, the people over my last 24 years it's quite nomadic the, the football world but there's been a, a really a consistent group of us that have been for almost the, the entire period and uh, so they're kind of what I'd call my, my really close football friends also the, I suppose uh, during games past players past people have been on the board you know they'll come to games and you got it straight away this um, oh, handshake and you kind of know that I remember that game or remember that final series it's kind of it might sound oh, it might sound a bit weird but there is this even though we've only had uh, one premiership in our time but could be two in a few more weeks but is that there's kind of that bond of, of friendship in an unusual environment and I suppose elite sports football is uh, it is unusual it's pretty pressurized it's always in your head you can't get away from it there's always something to do and, and decisions that you that you need to make but it does make you hardened but it is a commitment so the idea of uh you know family there is a there is a commitment because you know we're, we're training at seven o'clock tonight and that that happened a couple of days ago and uh things will always change players will require things at all hours of the day and that's just the commitment that you make part of your um, decision making and being involved in elite sports medicine for anyone who's interested in taking up a career in sports physiotherapy, do you guys have maybe one piece of advice that you would provide them? From my perspective, I think it's continue to hunt for other ways of doing things, continue to challenge the, the status quo and the way that we've traditionally been trained and I think look for uh, opportunities to, to make yourself better and that's probably echoing things that have been said in this, uh, in this conversation already but I think if you can continue to critically look at the way that you engage in your physio practice and uh, and surround yourself with good people who you respect their opinion, good peers that you can take their constructive feedback and I think that's part of your growth as a physio too is learning how to take feedback and it's not a criticism personally on what you're doing but it's out of the, the best interest of making you better. Surround yourself with those people, continue to yeah hunt and, and strive to get better and we never stop learning. I think it's an interesting thing is teaching undergrads, postgrads, masters and specialisation candidates, I think it's really important to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. Don't try and be the best when you know you can't be. I think it's really important to develop your skills in a non-threatening environment. So that could be if you do have an interest in um, sports medicine is that, you know, be a trainer. If you're, um, if you're an undergrad or if you have graduated, therefore put your hand up for a local team to be their physio or, believe it or not, work really closely with a really good soft tissue therapist or a, a really good osteo or, or a really good doctor. Don't think, oh, I want to be in the VFL, I want to be in the AFL because you, you will get leapfrogged in, with respect to your skill set. So give it time and I think it's really important too that if you wanted to do sport is don't think that doing sport is the best way to go is that there as we've mentioned before there's a lot of other avenues to develop your skill set so that you can be a very good sports physio so you've got to be careful not to be too narrow in that you know if you mentioned you know being good at cardiothoracic being good at neuro is that retrospectively my pathway I do laugh on the pathway that I did because it all makes sense to me now but it didn't make sense to me while I was going through that because I didn't want to do elite sports management but it made sense on how I was directed by my peers a bit of luck 
but it made me have an awareness of the various facets of physio, which then helped me be the physio that I am now, if that makes sense. So don't try and sprint to be the best. Get good at what you are, and then you will be your best in time to come. That was Collingwood AFL physios David Francis and Lachlan Fuchs, and you've been listening to Talking Physio, an Australian Physiotherapy Association podcast.